Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Mark Cohn performs live at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia next week on February 2nd. I spoke to the Grammy-winning singer-songwriter about his breakthrough hit Walking in Memphis, as well as his other underrated albums that paint his full-life story, from losing his parents at a young age to being shot in the head during a carjacking in 2005. Hey, Mark Cohn, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on WTOP. My pleasure. Thank you. The Birchmere itself is pretty legendary. Uh, yeah. Have you swung through there before? Oh, man, I've, I, I must have played there 20 times. That would be my guess. I love that place. One of my favorite places to play. Um, and actually, now you've got me curious. I wonder how many times I've played there, but it's become one of my favorites for sure. And why do you think that is? Is it just the, the intimate setting of it, the history all around you? What is it? It's all of that, man. And plus, it just it's a room filled with music lovers. You know, people are there to hear the music. Um, and that always makes a difference, right? It's not a, a, a prepaid sort of subscription thing where maybe you're just part of the, the other shows that a place is presenting. People really come in there to see you. Uh, it sounds great in there. Um, it feels great. I don't know. The food is good, um, as far as I remember. <laughs> Um, so it's just, it's, it's a, uh, a mixture of many, many things. Oh yeah. And they actually just released like a, a book where they interviewed a bunch of people, all the artists from over the years about the history yeah. of it. It's a fascinating place. Um, yeah. well, so, uh, where does this fall for you in terms of, you know, the last two years of, you know, COVID it's been crazy, but like how long, I guess, when did you get back out on the road? I done some, I did some shows last year um i did a couple of weeks with sean colvin and sarah jerose sarah watkins joined us for a couple of weeks out west but i haven't played with this trio which is my sort of normal trio for the past several years before covid um i haven't played with them in years <laughs> it's really strange i mean it's, it's it has to be at least three years since i've played with this particular trio of, of musicians that i love and who's the trio again Joe Bonadio is an amazing percussionist who uh, who has played with me for a long, long time, on and off for about 20 years. And the keyboard player and singer is Randall Bramblett, legendary uh, singer and songwriter himself, who played with Steve Winwood over the years and, and uh, Greg Allman. So um, he's a great singer and writer himself. So I love playing with Randall. It'd be the first time, like I said, in a few years. Nice. Well, that'll be a pretty sweet reunion for the three of you, I'm sure, mm-hmm. getting back out there. Um, yeah. So so if our listeners show up to see the three of you on stage, um, what sort of stuff are we going to hear? Is it is it like a mixture of, you know, all your, your most famous hits slash anything, you know, anything new you've been I mean, COVID gave you a lot of time, probably <laughs> anything new you, you've been writing? 
I did, I did some Zoom writing with a, a wonderful songwriter named Lori McKenna. Uh, and we have one song in particular that I really, really like. I've played it a couple times, but not many. Um, haven't done that many gigs. But uh, I'm probably going to do that song at the Birch. Um, I always do a, you know, lean heavily on the first couple of records. Um, maybe a song or two from Listening Booth, which was a, a record I did of cover songs. Um, I, and I often just, if I don't know what I feel should come next in the set, um, I often just throw it to the audience and say, what do you want to hear? And the first title I hear that sounds familiar and doable, um, I try it out. So you never know. Some of the, some of the evening is, is uh, off the cuff. Great. Well, whenever I have someone like yourself on, I love always love hearing uh, your journey. So I know you were born in uh, in in Cleveland, Ohio, in 1959. How did tell just talk about growing up there, and you know, how did you you know get turned on to music to begin with? Like, what what sort of music was playing? You know, your folks played around the house, or you know, what was sort of the formative yeah. stuff for you? Well, number one, there was a great. There were several great radio stations, um, and they were totally inspirational for me. There's a, a station still famous, I think, called WMMS. And that's where I first heard artists like Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and James Taylor, the band, um, all the great sort of, in my opinion, great artists of the 70s uh, and 80s. But mostly I was listening to them in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s. Um, and there were great pop stations too, you know, where there was an incredible variety of stuff being played. So I was inspired by a whole slew of things because radio was so wide open at the time. Um, the other interesting influence, which I'm not sure exactly how it crept in, but my next door neighbor was a man, a legend named George Zell. He was the conductor of the Cleveland Orchestra and he lived right next door. Oh, wow. And I think, yeah, I think he had a little crush on my mom. And so we were able to go in his seats, his box seats at Severance Hall, anytime we wanted to hear what he was performing. And I could actually hear him playing piano, working out certain arrangement ideas or um, just dynamic ideas for whatever piece he was practicing for that week and was going to conduct. So it was a remarkable thing to sort of hear that close up at that age. I actually wrote a song about him that's on a record of mine called, um, God, what is that record called? Can't remember right now. Uh, it's a record of old demos that I found. Um, anyway, there's a song on there called Maestro, and it's all about having George Zell live next door to me. Wow. Yeah, that I mean, that's a that's a fascinating way to finally, you know, <laughs> to, to yeah. at a young age to see that. Wow. Well, I, um, I learned something about dynamics, I think, right? Going to all those classical concerts, if nothing else. They're beautiful and dynamic. Anyway, also, that record is called Careful What You Dream, that that song Maestro is on. I knew it would come to you if you thought about it for yeah. a second. <laughs> <There it goes. laughs> awesome. Well, uh, so, all right, cool. So that's sort of the early formative stuff. When did you start taking it seriously? Like, I might be able to do this as a profession. Like, I know, um, I guess, was, was it Oberlin College or was it UCLA? Or I, I know you started playing yeah. in, like, coffee houses once you were out in, in L.A. But, uh, yeah, right. like, wh where, where was, like, the, the pivot to, to being, a, you know, a serious shift for you? I guess the pivot was when I left L.A. to come to New York City. Um, I had no luck finding any connections in the record business world in L.A. But in New York, I was lucky enough to meet a man who was a, a jingle writer. 
and I, I really had given him the ta a tape of mine, a demo of mine, uh, because I thought, you know, he would know some people outside of the commercial industry, and he did. Um, so he got my um, demo to Phil Ramone, a great producer, and a few other people, and I started getting hired as a singer for other people's music and some commercials. I sang for Lieber and Stoller, legendary songwriters. I sang demos for Jimmy Webb. Um, so that was the beginning of really meeting people that I admired and loved. Um, and I eventually, after years of doing sessions like that for other people, I, I got offered a deal from Atlantic Records, but that took a long time, even once I got to New York. But that was the, that was the big shift, was getting my voice, at least at first, heard by several people that mattered. Wow, Jimmy Webb, my grandfather talk, talked about him all the time. Um, wow, cool. Well, yeah. so that's thank you for taking me to that. It was going to be my next question was how that first album came about. But thank you. You you sort of said it. So Atlantic signed you, and you yeah. do that. You know, it's your 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 debut solo album, uh, Mark Cohn, yeah. self titled in uh, yeah. 1991. Um, of course, the the big hit on that, of course, everyone that your career hit, everyone knows you from is is Walking in Memphis. Just yeah. take me take me into. Um, you know, uh, the, the actual writing of that, because, you know, I, I love, I love when I interview artists that actually wrote, write their own stuff. And so talk, and it's, it's such a genius idea of, you know, following the, the ghost of Elvis through the gates of Graceland, like watching him walk right through. How do you come up with that idea? I was there, man. I mean, I, I went to Memphis looking for inspiration. I was sort of struggling with my songwriting at the time. I'd written a bunch of songs. I'd made a bunch of demos. But when I listened back myself to what I was doing and doing a lot of, it, it wasn't hitting the mark. There was just something missing. It wasn't, uh, it didn't sound singularly like me. Um, and I read this interview with James Taylor where he said, if you're stuck for ideas, that he was talking to songwriters specifically, he said, go someplace you've never been. Um, it might awaken your sensibilities. And to make a long story short, that's what happened. And I went down to Memphis, a place that I'd always loved because of the great music that came from there. Um, and it was just, that song is really not a verbatim uh, encapsulation of my trip there, but I did go to Al Green's church. So when I talk about Reverend Green, that was for real. Um, an amazingly moving experience, going to hear one of the great singers of all time, but also in the context of being in his own church. It was remarkable. Um, and I did meet a woman named Muriel, who I mentioned in the third verse. She was a, about a 75-year-old at the time school teacher, trying to make some extra money for herself. So all of these things were, were things I saw and heard and were deeply moved by. And uh, the whole story with, with Muriel would take 20, 25 minutes to tell you, but in the end, she became really my muse at that point. After meeting her at the Hollywood Cafe, we sang together. I told her a little bit about my life, that I was a struggling writer. I'd lost my parents when I was younger. Um, she listened and took it all in, invited me up to sing at this little shack outside of Memphis called the Hollywood, of all things. And we sang together some, some gospel songs that I didn't even know, but uh, she kind of whispered some of them in my ear, and I'd try to sing with her. And then we did Amazing Grace together, and she just whispered in my ear as people were applauding and said, it's okay, child, go home and write the songs you were meant to write now. 
uh, it's time to move on. And I went back and wrote the songs that became my first record within the next 12, 13 months. That's amazing. Did, did she, when you're on stage up there, you know, with her, did, did she actually say, tell me, are you a Christian? And ma'am, I am tonight. Or was that a flourish of uh, songwriting yeah, was, genius? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'll leave it up to other people, whether it's genius or not. But no, that conversation didn't actually happen. She did mention something about my last name. She couldn't quite get it right. It was like, corn, corn, is it corn? Um, it was so funny, but no, that was that was a, luckily a, a, a line or two that came to me. I love it. Well, how important do you think it, it was that you sort of right from the jump in that song, you sort of put us in your shoes, literally in, in your blue suede shoes as you board, right. the thing, which which, of course, is a nice little, you know, foreshadowing of, you know, the, the Elvis stuff you're about to experience. But right. I mean, um, why do you think it's it, it almost drops us? I mean, is that what you're going for? It drops us listeners right into your shoes. We feel like we're 10 feet off a of Beale. <laughs> well, that's the, yeah. I mean, I wasn't consciously thinking that, I don't think, but I think that's part of why the song works and resonates for so many people who listen really to very a variety of different kinds of music. It's a story, and everybody loves a good story, whether it's told in a movie or a, a musical or an album, a song. Um, everybody wants to be told a great story at bedtime, at meal, you know, whenever. We're always looking for stories. So I think, you know, that one from was a narrative that had a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, wasn't sort of a normal pop song kind of thing. Um, and I think that's part of why it resonated. But I, I couldn't tell you all the reasons why. Otherwise, I would have tried to write 10 or 15 more of those. But that one really seemed to resonate. And I'm obviously eternally grateful for that. Oh, man, long for sure. Long after both you and I are gone, that people will still know your name attached to that song. It's it's pretty incredible. Do you do you do you think about it ever in those terms? Like, you know, I mean, I, you know, whenever I interview people, it's like some people are like, oh, I'm so tired of playing that song. Ask me about something else. But man, I mean, there's got to be, you know, if you big picture it, you know, thinking of, you know, long after we're gone, they'll still be played. Mm. I mean, what, what does that what does that mean to you? I mean, that's got to be like an unreal feeling. It's a great question. Um... You know, number one, the first thing I think about is, well, first of all, I would love it if people started listening to other songs because I'm telling a, of mine, because I'm actually telling a much bigger story than that one. That's the beginning of, of a story for me in my life. But a lot of other songs I've written about, about my mother, my father, my childhood, my friends, my, some of my lovers, I mean, I've written about lots of different things for a long time. That bigger story, I'm really, I wish more people knew. My family knows the bigger story. And I guess I have the most pride and joy that comes from knowing that when I'm gone, I'm gonna leave behind my family's story. And I haven't, you know, it wasn't in book form. Maybe one day I'll do that. But there's a, there's a lot of clues to who what growing up was like for me and I think a lot of other people in that music. So the fact that, yeah, when I'm gone, people from my family and I suppose others are going to be listening to the bigger story and that that makes me proud. Well, let's give you an opportunity to share at least some of those clues of your bigger story that you mentioned. I mean, right, right here in, in, in this interview, let's say, let's say someone tuned in because they, you know, they're, they're like, oh, Mark Cohn, welcome to Memphis, going to the Birchmere. I got to go hear him sing that one song. 
right. use it right now in this moment. Explain. Let Let's go through a couple of of those songs, those clues you speak about. So, like, you know, let's say what what what's a song you're proud of that that speaks to about about your mother and your father. Well, when Walking in Memphis ends, it's the first track on the first record. It goes right into purposely a song called Ghost Train. That's the second song. So Walking in Memphis, the way I sequenced this record was actually, I spent hours and hours trying to figure out how to sequence this record because it needed to work musically and I wanted it to tell the bigger story. So Memphis to me was a thing unto itself, right? It was, I knew it was gonna be a single that they were gonna put that out. I thought it sounded good as an opening track. It is sort of an invitation to come into my world for when I'm in Memphis. I put on my blue suede shoes, you want to come along? So that's the beginning. But the second track is called Ghost Train, and it's about the day my mother died. I was a baby, and it's sung from the viewpoint of a little child. Um, so that's the beginning of my journey. Uh, the third song is Silver Thunderbird, which is all about my dad, who had died when I was about 12. So that's his story told through sort of my prism. Um, and it goes on like that until you get to the end of the record. There's a song called True Companion. And I think those three songs are actually my most popular songs um, in concert and other, otherwise. And True Companion is all about dreaming of becoming somebody's husband, becoming uh, a father one day. And I deal with that more, more directly in another song called Things We've Handed Down on the second record. But there's a whole story of my family, my, my mother, my father, and then my kids. So there's a little, a deeper view into it. Tell me a bit more about that one you said, about things we, what's it called, Things You Handed Down? Things We've Handed Down, yeah. Things actually, We've Handed Down. Yeah, I think that's actually my best song. Um, it's not a popular song, but people have used it in weddings and bar mitzvahs and various things. I love that it's used in that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a song people should check out if they don't know it. I, I'm glad to be leaving that one behind. And it's funny, it takes us back to the beginning of our interview, because one of the greatest things for me was, has been meeting and collaborating with some of my heroes from growing up. And we mentioned Jimmy Webb early on. Jimmy wrote an article for some UK paper where they asked him, write a, a couple of uh, columns about your favorite song these days. And he chose the things we've handed down. Whoa, so no way. It, yeah, so if, if Jimmy Webb liked it, I'm done. <laughs> that's validation right there. Who, yeah. who cares if it was a hit? If Jimmy Webb says it's his favorite, that's it right there. Exactly. Well, uh, I, I do want to, I want to, I, I love what you Let me saying. add one more thing. Can I tell you one more thing about that you, song? You can tell me 10 more things about it. <laughs> because, because Jimmy loved it so much, he played it. I'm pretty sure he is the one who personally played it for Art Garfunkel, who cut it himself and did a lovely job. So just that, that little piece of loveliness is, you know, been a wonderful memory for me too. And I've got dozens of those which surpass the idea of having hits, which is a beautiful thing, but I've met and befriended and, like I said, collaborated with some of my heroes, and that's been an amazing part of my journey. Will you laugh just like your mother? Will you sigh like your old man? Will something skip a generation like I've heard they often can? Man, who can't relate to that? Well, there you go. Uh, did Thanks you, uh, for reading, though. Of course. <laughs> I can't wait to go check it out. 
Um, give us some other clues. Give our listeners some other clues and maybe other songs. Because, I mean, you, you've sort of tackled some of your early albums and those songs you've talked about. But, like, throughout your career, this bigger picture, this bigger story of Mark Cohn's life that you're talking about. Like, what? Okay. Drill, drill down on another song or two, another clue or two about who you are and what you leave behind. Hey, man, first of all, I want to say you're a great interviewer. You really get down to the, the brass tacks, which is fun, right? I mean, you want to, in the end, you want to be able to talk about stuff that isn't what everybody asks. So thank you for that. Of course. Hey, I mean, I still slip in the walking in Memphis. You gotta, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. More that's interesting, good. Uh, fuller picture here. That's right. Well, I think so. Um, well, the truth is, there's a funny Nashville saying because a lot of people realize, you know, we really often are writing over and over about the same things, but from newer and different perspectives. Like I have a friend who says often you're really coming around all the time to the same thing. Only if you're on a staircase, you're a little bit higher on the staircase, on the spiral staircase. So I kept writing often about my family. Uh, you know, the fact that my mom passed when I was so young it was an enormous event in my family and for me because I really have no memories of her. And I've been trying to sort of, you know, how do, what do, I, how do I say it? just trying to get to know her somehow by continually writing about her and trying to come to terms with what her loss meant to me and how, how, how old were you if you don't mind me asking i was two i was oh, two wow. and a half yeah um so i wrote another song i'm really proud of from my third record it's a song called saints preserve us and it's hugely influenced musically by the band i really was going for trying to get that sonic sound, that soulful thing that they did. And I think we got pretty close, actually. But the song is again about the day my mother died. But this time, it's from my older brother's perspective, because he was the only one in the room when she passed. And what's that called? Uh, what's that song called? It's called Saints Preserve Us. Saints and it's on a record of mine called Burning the Days. So again, it's like, you know, there's this, I was going to say, there's a, a saying in Nashville, where people say, hey man, I love your song. And what they're really saying is, they're aware that a lot of us are writing about the same thing from different perspectives over and over, over the years, over our careers. And that's true for me too. Um, I've written a lot about my mom, a lot about my dad, uh, other people too, and some people I didn't know. I mean, some of my, I think, better songs are narratives about other people and other lives, which is, you know, interesting too you don't want to only write about yourself but singer songwriters tend to largely write about themselves whether they admit it or not um, so that's another example of writing about a similar theme but from a different angle it's like you know let's let in a movie let's do that scene again but this time i want you to stand over there uh, and see it from there so that same thing happens in songwriting or, or to your point, to your analogy, to continue it, over the course of several movies, it's that auteur theory. It's that filmmaker may, coming back to those same themes woven throughout different movies, just like you go and grapple with the same themes throughout different albums. Exactly. So if, um, all right, well, if, if Walking in Memphis was, was the big one off of your debut, Mark Cohn, if mm -hmm. Things We've Handed Down was off the second one, Rainy Season, and then, you know, and then if, um, uh, what'd you call it, Saints Preserve Us uh, was, was off of Burning the Days, what's the hidden gem off of album four, off of Join the Parade? Which, which one should, should our listener, we, we tell our listeners uh, as soon as they hop off this interview to go listen to? 
Well, there's a song I actually wrote about Levon Helm from the band, who was a huge influence on me. It's a song called Listening to Levon. It's unlike the rest of the record, because that record was really an encapsulation, it was a record about mortality. Because I don't know if you read about this, but years and years ago, I w was unlucky enough to be shot. And I wrote a whole record as a result of that, uh, about mortality and... Um, Hang on, hang on. I did not know that. When, <laughs> when, yeah, when, yeah. when did this happen and how, how did you recover? Well, I told, I told you it's an interesting story. It's bigger than walking in Memphis. Yeah, around 2000, yeah. <laughs> 2005, I was on the road with Suzanne Vega. Um, and Suzanne was on first when we played this show in Denver. And then I came on after. And we were going to meet back at the hotel, both of our bands. And to make a very long story short, while we were driving back in our van, while Susan was, Suzanne was still getting, probably uh, doing her set, this guy jumped out of nowhere and stood right in front of our van, which my tour manager was driving. And he barely slowed down, but this guy only had time to get one or two shots out. And he wanted to get our car. I learned later he was high on meth. And... He needed to get out of town because he had left his hotel without paying for his room, which I think had become a temporary meth lab from what I was told. I don't know that for sure. But anyway, that that bullet went through the windshield, grazed my tour manager's chin, I think, slowed down the 22 caliber enough so that it landed in my left temple. Couldn't see the bullet. It went it went all the way in, but it was just sitting in some um, cartilage. And I recovered almost immediately when they took it out because it did no damage to my skull. So it was miraculous that I had a bullet in my head and I wasn't dead. So that's another thing that, you know, was part of my story. And I wrote a lot about it on Join the Parade. Wow. Oh my gosh. And, and I assume that I assume that the shooter is they, they, they found him. He, he's locked away. They found him. This is interesting. We're talking about this today because of all things I've moved several times and did not get the word that about two years ago he was released. Wow. Uh, so I I'm in the middle of trying to come to terms. To, yeah. That's another that. song right there. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's okay now, um, but it's still a little scary to think about the fact that he's not still imprisoned. But I, I am going to talk to some people in Denver, the police department there, to try to find out why they couldn't track me down quickly enough to let me know this. Yeah. Um, so I have a few questions about that, but that's a whole other story, of course. Yeah, yeah, that that's um, you know, that's that's legally in, in safety. And thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad you recovered. That's amazing to you mean the right. crush with death like that. But pivoting it back to the the creative spark, then um, you saying the rest of the album, I mean, you can sort of see it dance back from the grave. If I were right. an angel, like I mean, giving up the, I mean, there, that's my sanctuary. Life life goes on. I mean, yeah. these titles yeah. alone, I don't want to uh, you know uh, imply anything, but I assume that's all after the the shooting incident absolutely and my sanctuary actually is another one of those songs that i'd love people to listen to i don't do it very often in concert um most people don't know it but it's another one i'm proud of leaving behind so what is my sanctuary real quick if you don't mind if you don't mind me doing such a deep granular dive what's my sanctuary about 
Well, you know, I'd have to listen to it again, but it kind of, I think I wrote it on a high holy day in the Jewish religion. I'm Jewish, not particularly religious, but spiritual and still searching myself like everybody. Um, so there's, I think each verse is me naming a different place where I've been able to find solace. The first verse, I believe, is the spiritual kind of thing. Then I talk about my kids. Um, and I finally end up with sort of a love affair. All those three being different kinds of sanctuaries. Um, so just better to listen than to talk about. So check it out. <laughs> but that record, Join the Parade, is largely, like we said, about mortality. And most of my records, fortunately or unfortunately, for better or for worse, they tend to have been written after some or about some kind of traumatic event. Um, my second record is largely about a divorce. Um, and we know what Join the Parade is about. The first one was about you know losing my parents, among other things. So usually, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it seems to take some sort of um, traumatic event to get me back to a piano or a guitar. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Hey. Maybe that'll change. Hey, that that's that's what artists do, right? That's how you work out your stuff. That's right. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you, if, if our listeners can't tell, um, you you got a lot of homework on you to go back out and let, you have so much you can go listen to. I mean, if if the if the if the descriptions of all four of those albums isn't enough, then I then you might as well just call it a day. I mean, that <laughs> that, that <laughs> this is uh you've definitely woven a, a tapestry of um of your life story, which is great. So um, but but before we run, you 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 know your, your fifth album, I want to hit it real quick. So um, you mentioned it earlier. You know, let's say if the first four albums was your original like your life story uh listening right. booth 1970 your fifth studio album was was some of your favorite covers of other artists like you mentioned you know you were inspired by elvis and al green and levon helm and all these people but right. um how, how do you go down how do you go about deciding which songs you know cat stevens john lennon paul mccartney stevie wonder how do you decide which ones you want to do right. on this album well my my great friend and producer of many of my records is a, a great musician named john leventhal and he had just done a record with his wife, great Roseanne Cash, called The List. And that was all songs that Johnny Cash, Roseanne's father, told her she had to listen because they were, they were the central great folk slash country songs that had ever been written. And that she needed to be armed with knowledge about how those songs were made and what the progressions were, what made the lyric great, all of that. So he had just come off of doing a really interesting cover record that had a great theme, right? I mean, but since not everybody has Johnny Cash as their dad, I couldn't figure out something that poignant <laughs> and wonderful. Right. Um, but so what we did was, I think it was John's idea to try to focus on the songs that we loved from one particular year. And we both immediately knew that 1970 had been a really influential year from, from, for both of us. Bridge Over Troubled Water came out that year, Let It Be came out after the Gold Rush, Leon Russell's first record, Elton John's first record, Grateful Dead's Working Man's Beauty. Um, I mean, uh, what is it? Working Man's Dead and uh, American Beauty. Um, and about another 15 albums I could name you, Cat Stevens, T for the Tillerman came out that year. Uh, James Taylor, I think, Anyway, we didn't necessarily cover 
our favorites, but we did cover the ones from that year that we thought we could change and rearrange, reimagine. And that's how we, we came upon that record. The other thing for me was I wanted it to have sort of a late night vibe. So there wouldn't be anything too aggressive about it. Not that I ever fully rock out, but um, that was the idea was to pick songs from that year that we thought we could bring something new to. And I, I think it worked. I mean, mo a lot of people find it sort of a weird diversion from my very personal records, but I kind of like that there's a, a change up along the, along the road. Oh, absolutely. And so, and I'm sure a lot of those artists were, um, you know, were, were touched that you chose their, their work to cover. And so, but uh, in the, on the flip side of that, what, what, how do you feel when, when other artists cover your stuff? Like I know, gosh, even walking in Memphis, I think was done by Cher. And then, you know, there was yeah. the country version by Lone Star, which was a big country hit as well. So, I mean, what do you, what do you feel like when, when people take and cover your stuff? Well, I have four children. Uh, we all live in New York city. Uh, so I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful that those, uh, those covers help pay the bills. Um, <laughs> some cheap. of them anyway. <laughs> no. Uh, so, but, but more seriously, it's a, you know, sometimes I don't feel like music. Listen, I wanted to do my covers record because I thought I wanted I had something new to bring to them. So I'm always interested in whether somebody's going to try to do something different. Some of the covers are to me just a little bit too similar to some of the originals. But having said that, it's it's a compliment to that somebody else wants to sing your songs. So I'm I'm grateful for that for the most part. But I'm always most interested in hearing somebody just take it and do something really different. I love it. Well, the, the time has flown. We've talked for like over a half hour. I, I had no idea we'd even go this long. So I really, really appreciate you you taking the time with us. I mean, everyone's going to be excited to see you out at the Burschmere. Is there anything else you you wanted to, to add? I mean, we've, we've covered a, a ton. You've covered more ground than the last 50 interviews I've done in my life. So you've, <laughs> you've covered, a, covered a lot of ground. Well, that's that's great. Hey, you, you made it yes. easy, sir. You made it easy. And, what, and so did in, you. Thank in, you. In closing, what's the, what's sort of the when it when it's all written? Because you know, we've we've let's face it, we've talked about how you know your your music paints your life story. But when when it's all over, you know, when it when when your obit is is written one day, what what do you want people to say about about Mark Cohn and and you know your place in this whole music continuum? Oh, God, that's that's an impossible question to answer. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's a great question, but, you know, like I said, when we were talking, I'm most heartened by the idea that there are people in my family tree that will be in my family tree that I don't even know yet, that aren't here yet. But, you know, I wish I had more. Um, I wish I had letters from my mother or letters from my dad or some something really personal to hold on to that would tell me about them. And I feel like my records sort of do that. And I'm, I'm like I said, heartened by the idea that um, people are gonna, people in my family are gonna know a little bit more about their own story, the beginning of their story, because I wrote these songs. That's an amazing idea to me. What I want the general public to feel, you know, that's harder to answer. I'm, I'm just hoping that I'm, you know, doing the best shows I can do. I've become the best becoming the best singer I, I can be. Um, so I'm hoping people will just be moved by what I've done and maybe go back to listen to more of it when I'm gone. <laughs> um, that's, that's about it, man.
Right. Yeah, exactly. These At the Birchmere, they'll whisper during your song, are, are you a Mark Cohn fan? They'll say, man, I am tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. That's great. I love it. Well, again, everyone, Mark Cohn's coming to the Birchmere February 2nd at 7.30 p.m. So get your tickets now on birchmere.com. This was a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Same here. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.